not only my favorite quote is this too shall pass, but now I learned about this too belongs. I mean, that's huge. Failing. 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 I know. We talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. A blessing. your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Listeners, today I have Danietta Najoli, who I met through some friends. Danietta is a certified personal coach, author, and a social innovator, and I love this. Her mission is to support people who provide close support, care, and assistance to others as their main role and job function. Uh, Danietta, I didn't know that you were from New York, too. Oh, yes, yes. I am from New York City, Harlem, to be exact. All right, we got to start there because you grew up in Harlem. What year? Do you mind saying your age? Does that offend you? No, no, not at all. Good. Because it, it was it was Harlem back when it was uh, Harlem, uh, right? <laughs> when it was not so great yeah. to, to be living there, you know, you, you know. So I was um, so 1970. I was born in Harlem Hospital. You know how people tell you where they're born. Yes. So that's that's going to be me today. <laughs> and uh, through the 80s, just living there, and um, yeah, was, uh, you know, I lived there. What was it like? Mm-hmm. What was it like in the 70s and 80s? So you know, from a white female from Cincinnati, Ohio. What was it like in Harlem in the 70s and 80s? For me, okay, so thanks for asking that, first of all. (laughs) Um, It was about, um, there was a lot of activity, lots of hustle bustle going on, lots of people in the community. Because again, like on this side of things, I know now that, you know, it was kind of like a, you know, like a, a, a space where people were kind of congregated and segregated. Right. Yeah. You know, and so there, there were a lot of people um, there. And I lived in a um, in a housing project, basically, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it was the one that was connected to another building. So in the whole village, as they call it, um, there was one building that was connected to another building. That was the only one in the whole village. All the other ones were just standalone. So when the elevator, when the elevator didn't work and I lived on the ninth floor, <laughs> we went to the other building that was connected all the way up to that top floor, the 14th floor, walked over the roof. Oh my gosh. And then down the stairs to the ninth floor, because that was easier, especially if you had groceries, Yes, you know, so that's an example of like how life was, you know, like we had the shopping cart, groceries, and we're like, oh no, the elevator's broken and we have to go upstairs. Oh my gosh. Um, but, but really I, the, the biggest thing that I really love about Harlem is just the people. I keep going back, you know, cause yeah, the people. What about, uh, you said the people and the, the thing that comes to me is like culture, community, faith, arts, cooking, like what was that like? Paint that picture. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Um, oh, my goodness. So people. Okay. Yeah. So in the, in my community, um, I had uh, friends that um, I grew up with. And I remember going to one of my friend's apartment. Her mom and her siblings lived there. And she would make, she would actually cook crabs. 
and we would have to, we actually, I remember going to the store and yeah. getting the crabs with Arlene, you know, Arlene. while they were live and, and ready to go, you know, and we'd get them in these like double bag, you know, paper bag uh, things and just taking them over there. And I remember when her mom, you know, would have the pot steaming and just would um, put the crabs in. And I just remember having crab, you know, eating those, you know, there in Harlem, uh, she lived on the second floor. I was on the ninth floor. She, she also did hair. So I learned how to, I think that's how I learned to do hair because my two older sisters, they don't know how to, to do hair, you know, <laughs> which is yeah. fine. But, but that's, you know, that's where I got my love of just kind of doing it myself. And so that's another part of the culture, which I really feel like is important where you learn like through tr- traditional learning and learning what people are doing and you pick it up. And then all of a sudden now you have that skill. Um, and then I'm able to do my daughter's hair, you know, as a result. So, so that's an example. And then of course, um, going on Saturday mornings to yeah. dance studio, the sounds and motions dance studio. I, I, I cannot ever tell a story about Harlem and, 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 and not talk about this, but, um, yeah, my godmother had a dance studio in Harlem for over 30 uh-huh. years and, I would go every Saturday and learn, not from her. She didn't teach my class. It was Mickey. Uh, she, Mickey was my dance teacher. And so every Saturday morning, little groups of girls were just getting their little leotards ready and, and out there and, and doing dance classes. So that was, that's a really fond memory I have because not only did yeah. I enjoy those dance classes, right after I would go help out my godmother who had who had this company, the Sounds in Motion dance company, and I would help her out in the office. And I remember loving to help. Like that was something I lived to do. So to be able to like have that as a part of my um, DNA, a part of my fabric of what I do today, I, I, I yeah. credit, you know, back then, like those seeds that were planted. So yeah, dance classes. And, yep. I'll, I'll pause there. I have a couple of other things to share about Harlem, but I just want to <laughs> take a minute. Set, you wanted two shout outs for that. Danietta, other than I love the story of, of having to walk up all those steps and the cooking crabs at your neighbor's house and your sweet godmother with dance. Uh, what else? And then you said you helped your your godmother afterwards, which is kind of like a window into your soul. Uh, what else do you feel like was part of your DNA from growing up in Harlem? I would definitely say um, my extended family. Um, my my grandmother lived very close to where the dance studio was. So after dance yeah. class, I would walk over to, to where she worked. She had her own, new, she had a restaurant for a number of years when I was, yeah. So she cooked things like, you know, like the burgers, the fries, sort of like one of those spots. Right. And then, yeah. But then she ended up having a newspaper stand and, and right across the street from an elementary school and yes. the newspaper stand sold all kinds of candies, you know, those penny candies, shoelaces, yeah. the cherry bombs, she's just everything that you can imagine that a child would love to have and yeah. would have complete and utter access to. <laughs> So every <laughs> Saturday I would have like my fill of candy and then I would go to Burger King. You know, she'd give me a couple of bucks to go get my lunch and just spending time with her on Saturdays was also a high point. I mean, you know, it was great. It was yeah. great. She, she was definitely one of those. Um, she worked as a, what you would call a domestic worker. Um, I later learned um, where she would work downtown, 
Manhattan and then come back okay. and then own her own you know business and and work that. So she had double things that she would do. She worked oh really God. Yeah. But she worked. Yeah, definitely in that way. And I remember one day going to her with her to the wholesale place to buy the candies and all the goodies. And I, mm-hmm. and I thought, oh, this is great. So that entrepreneur bent kind of like resonated with me then too, just seeing that. Okay. That's exactly what I was thinking about with your godmother and with her. Yeah. What about your mom? Yes. Yeah, so tell me about your mom. Yes. Yeah, so my story around that, and I share this a lot in my, in my in my chapter in the book um, that we'll talk about. Um, but yeah, wait, tell, tell everybody the name of the book. The name of the book is called micro shift. <laughs> amazing. And listeners, Kendra Ramirez also wrote part of that book with Danietta and she was on the previous episode. So we're kind of doing it two for here. And I love Kendra. She's an amazing soul. I just have to say on my interview time, <laughs> she's great. She is. Um, she is. Yeah. So when so your mom, I, yeah. So the story with my mom is that when I, when I was uh, five, I hadn't reached six yet. It was August. My birthday's in September. So uh, my mother, um, she completed a suicide. She, oh. yeah. So she, she was dealing with clinical depression um, and had been doing so for a number of years. And um um, had sought some treatment and things of that nature. Maybe it was my uncle who had helped her to go get that treatment, you know, but there really wasn't a lot in that community and even in our family to really uh, help with that, you know, with clinical depression. Um, and, and also the stigma, I think that was prevalent in the African-American community, especially, I can only speak to, mm-hmm. to that from my own lived experience, but it, it wasn't, it, it was that you just didn't talk about it or you just, you know, like snap out of it, you know, like that type of thing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Versus we really need to get some, some help. And I was, I was only five. And so, um, yeah, so my, and I shared, um, you know, it's just when I, 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 I actually know that ice cream costs 10 cents in 1976, because that was the summer when my mother passed, because I had Mm. my middle sister and I had seen the ice cream truck run up to the circle at the time. There was a circle. Now there's a street that runs straight through. They've since redone the whole neighborhood. Um, But we ran upstairs, took the elevator up. And then we, um, we looked for our mom and we, we just didn't see her in all of the rooms and we have a shotgun apartment. So it was like all straight back. Yeah. Yeah. So past my grandfather, who was resting in his room and then in the bathroom, that's when we actually discovered her. Um, it, it was, it, you know, it's one of those memories that stay with me today. It, it doesn't leave, you know, that moment. And then I also remember right before we went out to play, I remember that moment like it was yesterday because she, yeah. she was doing my hair. One of the other memories of Harlem is she was doing my hair. I was sitting on the floor, probably on a pillow and she was on the sofa and she was doing my hair. And she, you know, told my middle sister and my older sister to, you know, watch me to, as they went outside to play. And of course they're five and six years older than me. And that's the last thing they want to do is watch, you know, a little five-year-old running around and having to keep up with, uh, with them. So they didn't want that. And they, they wanted me to stay and I didn't want to, I just wanted to go play. So um, that day is really a, a really um, memorable moment, you know, in my life. Um, and, and it also um, depicts Harlem for me too, because we, our family stuck together after that happened. And, and a really? year, yeah, 
Yes, uh, we did. And, and um, we, my grandfather and my uncle uh, tried to have us raised by, you know, female relatives, right? Because these are two, you know, we, I didn't mention, but uh, my mother had my grandfather and my uncle stay with us in this apartment. It was a two bedroom apartment. So we were crammed in. Um, yeah. She had them stay because they had a fire in Harlem and another part of Harlem in an apartment. So out of the okay. goodness of her heart, she said, sure, you can come over and stay, you know, of course, you know, but then um, yeah, it, you know, during that period is when she was slipping into that depression. So, um, so we just, uh, we, we, we worked it out in that my uncle and my grandfather wanted us to be raised by women in our family, but there was just not someone to their standards that they could point to. They, they tried, they, yeah, they, they did try, they tried, they said, you know, okay, cousin, and there's no offense. I love all my family, but you know, I'm, sure, sure, sure. I'm really grateful that my grandfather, and my uncle raised me, my sisters and I, because of how we, you know, how we have um, <laughs> turned out, so to speak. Um, yeah. So yeah, my, my, my grandfather's words were when, when he, when my uncle saw me out at like 10 o'clock one night, when I was supposed to be with my cousin, you know, over her house, over her place. Mm -hmm. And I was outside just kind of like looking around 10 o'clock, six years old, probably. So my uncle told my grandfather and he said in his, you know, the famous words were go get those girls, go get those girls. We're, we're going to figure this out, you know? And yeah. so. Danietta, uh, two things. How, so this is 1976. How was suicide viewed then? Was it shame? Like, do you talk about it? You do talk like what was going, I mean, I can guess, but yeah. I don't want to make any assumptions. Right. No, that's a, that's a really good question. Like as a five and six year old, I, I couldn't, like, I had no concept, you know, of it at all. I had no concept of it. I, I later learned, you know, obviously, and I, I wanted to learn more uh, about the nature of it. But from what I had seen in the family, it wasn't like we had to sit down and we all talked about how we're going to, um, you know, go from here, um, whether or not we needed counseling or anything like that. I did. Later, right. I did later learn, though, that my sister, my older sister um, did receive some some form of counseling. But, you know, she really wasn't in a position. She really wasn't interested as much. So she kind of clammed up, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, stigma all the way around. There's there's still a large stigma, although not as much because of where we are, you know, society wise, I think. But certainly there's a huge stigma around uh, suicide, you know, especially if people are people of faith. And then you have that question like, oh, what is Oh, this yeah, I forgot about that. Right. What does this mean? You know, and so and then my middle sister, I remember her saying, telling people that her her mother died in a car accident because she was she was, you know, ashamed. You know, she had a lot of shame associated with it. Um, I was clue. I, I really was so little. I didn't know what was really happening. All I knew was that I didn't have my mom anymore. Um, and. And so we, we didn't ever talk about it. It was something that we just stuck together. And we just, my grandfather used to always say, you know, you all have to stick together, you know, but he never, he never talked about, he never, he never even talked about his daughter. Like if I, I was going to say, and that's his daughter. Right. So he, he never talked about it, even from a standpoint of when I say it, I'm talking now about just 
the legacy of her life. Because my thing is when people pass, you know, it, it's not about that moment. It really is about who they are as a person, right? And how they lived, mm. right? How how well did they live? Who Were they funny? Did they love, you know, did they, you know, enjoy types of foods and hobbies and things like that? So none of that ever was uttered. So I literally had this vacuum. And not to mention uh, a year before my father had passed, a year before my mother passed, my, oh my, my father God. passed. Yeah. So it, it we were kind of like the, this was the family tragedy. Like our, my, my sisters and I were kind of like the result of, okay, we have to rally around these, these Dawson sisters, you know, we have to be there for them. So we had a lot of attention around that, you know, um, yes. I'm really grateful for that because I know of a lot of stories where people, have gone down a path where there was no support and they themselves have turned into like the space of like depression and just, you know, whether it's epigenetics or just in our own genes, you know, how mm-hmm. things like that can come up. And I still kind of have to come to grips with like how I'm wired and what do I need as a person to, to maintain, uh, you know, my, my overall well being. but yeah, my, 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 um, my father had passed a year before and it, it was inconclusive even on how he actually passed. You know, um, I have my, um, I have my theories, you know, but I know that he, he did have a business at one point. Um, and I came along, he lived in New Jersey and they, and my, mm-hmm. my mother lived there, t- you know, they were together in New Jersey and we're all from the same family. Like all three of my, uh, of us are from that family. You know how sometimes it's like, okay, well, who's the father? Who's the mother? It's like, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, we're, yeah. we're all, <laughs> we're all one family, same parents, exactly. Same yes. parents. And, um, but he, um, yeah, he had a, a failing record business, um, and, you know, a lot of businesses in the first five years, you know, That's right. <laughs> you know, it, it's no guarantee. So he loved music probably. And he just wanted to have a record store. It's like, I know I'll just have a record store. I love music, you know, so it didn't yeah. work out. And um, I think he fell into like, you know, just a lot of um, dis- disdain and just, uh, you know, dep- I don't know if it was depression or not. I have no idea. But um, he got a hold of some um, street drugs. Apparently, I don't know a whole lot about it. I, I really don't. But this is my theory because I watched American Gangster. I'm not trying to like. I have to pull together stories because no one's. Yeah. No one has all the stories, so I make it they up. They don't. Yeah. <laughs> I fill the holes. Yep. And so there was a movie called American Gangster, and there was a time in the same time period when my father had gotten hold of something, you know, and that American Gangster movie talked about how people had things laced, you know, into their, mm. into drugs and it, it made them into like street drugs. Right. So then there's that, you know, there's that um, whole thing that you can have, you know, when you are under that kind of intoxication or what have you. So he had some issues around that. And I just remember us not really the kids, you know, my sisters and I not being allowed to be around him, you know, um, and I, but I don't have any memories at all of, of my father personally that I can say, yes, my father, I've seen pictures and my, my older sister was, was your grandfather where your, was your grandfather and then your uncle more of a father figure? They were, they ended up being my father figures. My grand, my uncle was my legal guardian. Yeah. My mm. uncle, and I keep those papers cause they're special to me. Even though they're like, and when you got when you got married, did he like walk you down the aisle? <laughs> so I, I okay, so 
No, because my husband is from Kenya and we weren't, we didn't have his whole family come here. Got it. Okay. (laughs) So we ended up getting married sort of like, okay, we got the justice of the peace and we'll have a reception. And we did that in in Nashville. We had a nice reception with friends and, you know, close, uh, you know, family friends and those that can make it. But yeah. So, but the funny thing is, is that we, we did go to Kenya. My Herman and I, my husband and I, we went to Kenya. Uh, I've been to Kenya three times. I've been really thankful and grateful for that opportunity from Harlem, Harlem to Kenya. You know, it's just, it's a blessing. (laughs) First of all, that could be your next book. (laughs) That would be great. (laughs) That would be awesome. No. And so we had a, um, they called it, we called it renewing of vows, of course, but then they, Mm -hmm. in Kenya, it was almost like we were just getting married for the first time, the way the culture, you know, how they rallied around us. And we had like such a big showing all of our family, his side of the family was there. So it was a beautiful ceremony. That's so cool. That's so cool. Over the years, I've coached executives and young professionals looking to embrace their strengths, level up their leadership and find their dream careers. Just like my podcast guests, my clients have been stuck, but I've helped them navigate whatever challenge they're facing and find a way forward. That's the goal of our 10-week coaching program, Move Forward. Through my guests' best practices, our coaching tools, my team and I will help you discover your primary motivations and challenge the unhealthy and limiting beliefs that are holding you back. You'll use neuroscience to create new healthy habits and create a move forward plan for your future. If you're interested, you can visit failforwardpod.com backslash coaching to learn more and to sign up for a one hour exploratory coaching session. That's failforwardpod.com backslash coaching. All right, I wanna know, you set us up with this. By the way, that family history was super interesting and I know very sad. So thank you for sharing that. connects me with the book because you started to say what you shared in micro shift, like there had to have been some learnings that you got and how it impacts your work today and how you serve others. Oh, definitely. Yes. And so in the book, I talk about one of my core coaching programs. Um, It's called release, allow, attract, and act. But I I share that release, allow, release, allow, attract, Attract and act. Act. Right. In that, preferably in that kind of flow, because it's kind of like the same as, you know, have, do, and be. Um, that, 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 you know, a lot of us want to have, do, and be. That's kind of like an inverse, you know, versus be, do, and have, right? So you want to be the person <laughs> that you, that you want to be and that you're, you're called to be, then you do the things that allow you to, um, continue to be that person. And then you have the things that come as a natural outgrowth, but a lot in our society, we do have it backwards. We, we want, and I've been there. I'm only, you're right. I'm speaking from pure experience, you know, yeah. you, you, you have a picture of what you think you want to, um, have in life and, and experience or acquire, and you have no idea how to like get to that space, but you think you might know. And so you try to go for that and then you back into your things of, okay. So why do you start with release? Ah, so I start with release. And, mm-hmm. and again, I shared in my, in the, I think this is what I need. Okay. <laughs> well, I had to release, um, first of all, releasing is a, um, 
it's a beautiful form of letting go. Okay. What, what, yes, what does uh, like surrender exactly, you know, what does uh, crying, like shedding a tear, opening your hand, mm-hmm. you know, have in common, right. You know, it, it's, it's a release exhaling. It's a release. And to be able to do that is, is easier said than done in many, in many cases, but if you're intentional about it and you know that you're releasing and letting go, then the next thing that you can do is what happens naturally is that you allow for that expanse to fill with the thing that you've released, you know, like whatever that expanse is that it's whatever is supposed to fill up that expanse can only happen once you've released, you know, the other things, like whether it's in there, you can fill in the blank on the releasing. Like for me, I had to release, yeah. you know, the stigma and the, you know, um, growing up in, in a um, community. Like I, I'm really proud of Harlem. I, I really love my community, but I know growing up in the seventies and eighties was not a, was not a fun yeah. time to grow up in Harlem. Now, some parts of Harlem are called Central Park North. So go, you know, we can go do the math. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. someone growing up in Harlem now would have a completely different experience, right? Than, than yeah. how I grew up. So I just had to release those, um, you know, those those toxic feelings of, you know, feeling not enough, you know, because when I've when you lose a parent, first of all, a very a very um, important person in your life, you know, especially a mother, yes. you know, um, it, it's not easy because what happens is you, you, if you're not thinking about this right, you could try to replace that, that love and that, that primary relationship. And it cannot be filled. It, it simply cannot be filled. I mean, you can have people that are standing. I have so many mother figures in my life to this day, including my chief among them are my, is my mother-in-law chief among them is my mother-in-law. Joyce in Kenya. She's, she's beautiful. And even with that, I know that that place of where my mother heart, where my mother's heart is, you know, for me, it it can't be replaced. And so sometimes we look for love in those wrong places. So this is interesting. So this is, so you've accept, because you've accepted, so going back to the release, because you've accepted that nobody can fill your mother's role, you're, you've, you're at peace with it. Yes. Yes. And when you're at peace with it, that allows you to open up so that others can, can, so you can give and so you can receive in other ways, like from all these other beautiful women. Exactly. And the chief of. (laughs) Chief among them. What did you call it? Chief among them. Chief among them. (laughs) Yeah. It's my (laughs) mother-in-law. Definitely. Yeah. You can only, you know, allow those things to come in, like after you've released and, and it is a process. So so I talk about it, like, you know, you know, growing up in Harlem and losing my mom, uh, particularly and having to release the the notions of, you know, g- growing up in that situation. Um, and, and really it allowed for education to come in for me, it, not only moms, okay. but because I didn't go right away to like, oh, I have a, a, my godmother who right, I talked right. about. My godmother came in my life. Diane McIntyre, she came into my life around the same time that my mother passed. So literally I'm, I'm having someone introduced to me as a friend of my other uncle, not the one that raised me, but my other uncle. Um, 
And I'm, I'm thinking we hit it off amazingly right away. I went to so many plays that she in, introduced me to, got to meet so many people. I mean, th- it, there's a list of people. <laughs> wow. she's, she's an amazing woman and um, in her own right as a, a modern dancer, modern choreographer. But um, my point, though, is that I didn't go right to, oh, I want to find someone, like I need to have someone. It it was just my grandfather had the wisdom to say, oh, he notices this relationship. He was a connector, you know, and he said, I'm going to connect Diane McIntyre to to all of the children, not just me, but I was the one that kind of responded and perked up to that relationship. Because what I know about myself is that I do, not that my sisters don't have the same way about them, but for me, it's real important to, um, to cultivate relationships and to see yes. them grow and nurture into a positive blossomed flower. You know, that's something that just gives me joy for the, for the sake of it. Yeah. <laughs> after release. Yeah. Then it's then attract. It's, then it's allow. So after release. Allow. They, Darn it. Yeah. Shoot. <laughs> it's okay. I tried to write these down. Yes. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> so you're allowing, you're allowing the good to come in. So for me, it was allowing space, like for my godmother to just be available and, and for me to respond to her when she would invite me to different things. And we just built a relationship over the years. So I've known her for this long. And, um, and then also it was, it was about education. What I realized is that I was able to kind of focus on education to, for me, it was important to, you know, pursue my education. And I didn't know until I was an adult <laughs> that my uncle, my uncle actually told me that I scored the highest in middle school for like the, the specialized testings in New York City. There were only three schools like a Walnut Hills wow. in New York City at that time. You know, it was Stuyvesant, Brooklyn Tech and Bronx High School of Science. Those are the only three at the time. And so um, I actually tested to get in and I, I went into Brooklyn Tech and I, I'm really grateful for that experience. Um, and then from there, went on to Fisk University, got accepted into that um, HBCU, Historically Black College and University, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I'm so grateful for that school because honestly, I had no idea how much rich history Fisk University had when I was 17 years old. <laughs> Really? Where where is Fisk? Fisk University? Is, Fisk University is in Nashville, Tennessee. So I left at 17, not knowing anyone particularly in Nashville, but I was connected. My faith was also strong. So that was another thing I allowed in, okay. you know, so my faith was really strong. And I mean, I, when I say strong, it was important to me to develop my faith. And yes. And so there was going to be a church in, in Nashville that was being built they were, they were already having services, like maybe in, in the pastor's apartment and then on to a school. By the time I got there, they were using a, a house that they retrofitted to a church. So wow. yeah, I was part of a startup uh, church uh, ministry there and it was beautiful. Got to serve and do all kinds of things and, and just focus on my education. I went to school for business administration and management, Yeah, um, which uh, I'm really grateful. Did you stay in Nashville? I did. I lived there a total of 13 years. So I, I stayed okay. after graduating in four years. So I graduated in 92. Um, and, and I actually went to a couple of, I, I, I tried, actually, I was thinking about pursuing a MBA. So I tried the MBA mm-hmm. and realized I don't want to go for an MBA. This is not what I want. But you got an MA. I got an MA, but that was later. That was much, that was 
That was later. Okay. Yeah, I got the, okay. I went for the MBA at Tennessee State University. I took some courses, but then I also took uh, psychology courses and I love those. I took graduate mm-hmm. level psychology, a couple of them. And I just love what they were teaching. I love the concept. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. I want to come back to your model because I'm super, I'm like applying it in my head to me as you go through it. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. It's really helpful. It's almost like, I almost want to say to my therapist, you need to look at this model. All right. So release, uh, allow, let's talk about attract. Yes. Um, So that's where it gets really fun because I believe in God's great universe. It conspires to give you exactly what you want. And, you know, it's a double-edged sword. You know, it it can give you. I agree. I'm, I'm there with you. I tend to not think of like, I'm, I'm more leaning towards like universe versus the term God, but that doesn't matter because it's the same thing that we're talking about. So, okay. Exactly. Keep going. Yeah. And that's why I say it exactly like that, actually, for all those that have, you know, whatever belief, right. You know, so it's, it, it's, it's the big universe that, you know, conspires to give you what you want, whether it's good or bad, <laughs> you know, it, it's mm-hmm. just, if, if I think a certain way, I'm going to get that same thing. And, and that's the law. Yeah. Of it's, it's simply the law of attraction. And I totally believe in that, but I also believe that it can happen really well after you've released and allowed. Yeah. So, so I think what the law of attraction missed out when that whole thing came out years ago yeah. is uh, what you're talking about, release and allow, because if you ask for something out of ego or fear, yes. <laughs> and so what you're doing is you're helping people not not ask out of ego and fear by doing the release and allow, right? Is I, that accurate? Yeah, that that's pretty fair to say. Yeah, because you've done the work. You will have done the work already. Because you've done the work. To release the things. And those are the things, like whether it's ego, and, and I have a fun story around how I look at ego. I look at ego as a big elephant. You know, our ego can be, just imagine a huge elephant and we're riding that elephant. <laughs> now, mm-hmm. our ego, if we don't steer it in the right way, it can wreak havoc, in my opinion. A big elephant is going to wreak havoc. And, or it could kind of yeah. wail and flail us all around if we're just giving into every single whim of our ego, our emotion, our feelings. But if we're riding the elephant and we're steering it and we're controlling where it goes, we're noticing, oh, wait, I have that reaction when, when that happens or when this person says this, oh, I'm noticing how I'm responding to that. Just that self-awareness and that self-reflective and even self-critique, dare I say. <laughs> for those of us that are like, yeah, that we don't like too. that, you know, uh, I'm, a, I'm a recovering type A personality. I'll tell anybody any day. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so this is all applying to me on any given moment, but um, yeah, but yeah. So it, that ego, like you said, releasing that ego or just knowing that it's there and knowing how to manage it. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and then after attract, you added act in there. Yeah. I added act because, and I weave through the, the chapter weaves through my story. So, um, you know, so attracting, I, I'll, I will say I attracted, uh, the opportunity to, um, to meet my husband <laughs> because I went to graduate school and that's when I studied yeah. organizational leadership because I wanted to know, uh, what it was like to lead. I wanted to understand the precepts and tenets of leadership. I have been doing it sort of ad hoc and sort of like, oh, you yeah. you seem like you'd be a good leader at church or places, other places, community. 
but not really understanding the tenets that go along with it. And I really wanted to learn mm-hmm. that. So I studied uh, organizational leadership at a really conservative college. And, um, and my husband was taking the same elective course. And I do say elective. <laughs> so it was a crazy situation. We were taking an elective course that you can take any time during your matriculation. And, um, mm-hmm. and we met during this time. And, and it was an online accredited university. I I say that too, because that's what that was. And, um, and it was just amazing to meet him and to not see him in person, but yet to connect intellectually and philosophically. What year was this? What year is this? So I started in 2002, I think 2002 was when I, cause yeah, that's when I started, um, the graduate program for, uh, cause that's pretty early on with online learning. It was. Yeah. They were using things like Blackboard, right? That's that's sure, like sure, sure, sure. Or Canva or but anyway, yeah. So it was very early, you know, using Blackboard and and getting to know Herman. And and I was thinking, okay, who is this guy? You know, let me look at his picture. Let me check out this profile picture. <laughs> and he had one up there. And he had come to the US to do missions work. So that's the kind of that's the funny uh-huh. You know, a little twist. He's from Kenya, but he went to Texas. To- Coming to the U.S. to do mission work. Right. For That's- yep. So there's a twist on that. It was the teen, it was a teen Christian group that he was connected to. He came in as a leader and had learned and ended up staying to go to school. And then we met, we, we fell in love, you know, um, and it was just beautiful. And, and we married and mm-hmm. It was just like, okay, God, you, you really, you're doing a lot more in this attracting thing, you know, cause I wasn't thinking about all of that. I did know that I wanted to be married and I wanted to have a child in the, in the union of yes. the marriage. I, that's all I knew. And I put that out there. I put that yes. up, up as a prayer, up as a something to release out there. And, um, God answered, you know, my prayer, you know, um, he is, uh, you know, just been, so amazing because we've been able to go to Kenya. I've been able to go to Kenya three times um, during the time that we've been married. And thankfully my, my job, you know, like the nonprofit that I work at, you know, uh, it was, I actually worked at another nonprofit when I went the first time. And then they allowed me to go for like, I think it was, it was several weeks. I mean, not just, you're not going for amazing because right. You're not going for a long weekend. Exactly. Jet lag. Does your uh, mother-in-law ever come and stay here? She did. She came here during my son's first year of life. First year, Mm -hmm. the whole year. Yeah. So that was a blessing because for me, like I said, she's, she's the chief among them. She's a, she's a beautiful mother in love. I call her my mother in love because yeah, she, cause part of their tradition, like my husband is the firstborn son, like in their Kenyan culture. So that means something culturally, like everything kind of, kind of shifts to, it's just a cultural way that they look at hierarchy and all of that. So the family is beautiful and loving and everyone's together, but how they operate, that's how they, they operate with the firstborn son. So with my husband having a son who ends up being his firstborn son, she wanted to come here. And so she came to Nebraska where my son was born, (laughs) which is a whole other story because you're like, wait, Nebraska. Yeah, we after um, Nashville, we married in Nashville in, in Tennessee, and then we moved. Yes, we went to Nebraska to be a family teaching couple at 
Boys Town. I don't know if you're familiar with Girls in Boys Town. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> Father Flanagan's Boys Home. I think that was the original. Yes, but is Bo- I didn't even know if Boys Town was still around. I think it still is. Is, is it still? Yeah, okay. It was and Boys Town for listeners, Boys Town was like an orphanage sort of or now a group home, I would guess. Yeah, it's a, but it was a long-term residential uh, uh treatment uh program where it's it's situated in a form in the form of homes like these huge homes all in this in this huge campus in Nebraska um in Omaha okay yeah and and each in home, Omaha yeah, okay each home could house easily eight eight boys or eight girls so you you both went to work there we went to work there yep yep okay and that's mission work really yeah it is yeah i mean you're getting paid but yeah i mean that's service that's, yeah and it was beautiful, right? Yes, it, it is service. And it's a, back to that theme of serving because I personally love, I mean, you know, I, I just love doing it. I love being able to serve it just as part of like what I am doing in my life. I want that to be a, a an element that, you know, that is centered around what I'm doing. Danietta, so you talked about the allow and attract. Tell us about ACT. Yes, yes. So after you've released and then you've allowed the good to come in and mm-hmm. you are attracting even more good because you have figured out like what it is that you want to be doing and it's it's showing up in the people, the types of people, the the connections, the situations are all showing up, then the only next thing that's next to do is to act. Now the decisions become easier. You're, you're able to make the decisions far easier than if you were to start with, with acting because you, yeah. you've done the work you've done and you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt that this next action is the right next thing to do. Marianne Williamson, who's an author that I love, talks about um, co-creating your life. And the only way that you can co-create with the universe or higher power, whatever you want to call it, is through your act part. Like you have to be an active participant. That's so true. Yes. You, you, you know, you can ask for power. This is what my old, old pastor used to say all the time. You can ask for more power, more power, but unless you turn on that light switch, guess what? You'll never have, (laughs) you won't have the power. You can't, it takes the action, right? It takes you turning on the switch. So it takes the action. And I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of acting, but I am a fan of acting in the aligned steps that, you know, that, you know, will bring you the results. Um, and, and not every time that you act, you will get the, the desired results, right? Right, 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 right? But it's also in the posture of being willing to act. And there's learning even in that. So, so this too belongs. I, I'm a practice. I'm, I'm a uh, lifelong, I've been practicing mindfulness for 20 years now, lifelong practitioner of mindfulness. And so I just learned about <laughs> not only my favorite quote is this too shall pass, but now I learned about this too belongs. I mean, that's huge. Yeah. Wait, wait, I know. wait, I know. you got to unpack that for me. We're going to close on that. <laughs> this too belongs. Yes. To me, that is just accepting um, the things that we cannot change and, and knowing, you know, obviously knowing, you know, the things that we can change and being able to act in that way, but then accepting with the level of equanimity, which is another word that I've added to my lexicon over the years, um, just accepting that um, this belongs too. So it's, it's the, it's the glory and the, and the Valley experience. It's the, you know, it's, it's what happened when yes. I was born, when I was five years old, what happened with my mom, that belongs as well as 
you know, where I am right now with my, with my mother-in-law, my mother in love and the people that are in my life right now, because I wouldn't have been able to get here unless I had experienced all those things. I, I really believe that everything was necessary. This too belongs. So. I am so happy that when I met you and my heart like fluttered and leapt when I met you that like energetically, I was like, I cannot wait to talk to you. Oh, that's this great. too belongs. Same here. Ugh. Same here, Sarah. You, you, your energy was, is, is so amazing. Just watching you MC and just your presence was beautiful. And when we talked that day, I, I said, oh my goodness, this, she's really, she's a, she's a ball of energy right here. And to get the invitation, I'm really thrilled. I'm, I'm really grateful that you, you know, would have me on your show, on your podcast. Well, I'm grateful that you would take the time to be on the show. So thank you. Thank you too. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod.